Hi, everyone. This is the Still in Motion podcast where we talk. Not right. You say your name first, right? No. Hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm Catherine. And welcome to the Still in Motion podcast. Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) It's early in the morning. I'm not thinking. (laughs) Let's try again. I'm Catherine. I'm Jonathan. And this is the Still in Motion podcast where we talk about dance and dance photography from both sides of the camera. Welcome back. Yay. I think right, this is episode five. <laughs> How was your week? It was good. It's actually been two weeks and it feels like it's been well, since our last months recording. and months yeah. and months since we talked last. Yeah. I can hardly remember what I did I was joking at work yesterday that I don't have actual weekends it's just every day of the week is slightly different than every other day and so it all just kind of blends together in a weird sort of way yeah I mean life as a freelancer is hard because we have no consistency in our schedule at least the way that we've structured our lives mm-hmm. versus if we had a studio that might be easier because you have normal business hours maybe but for us, well, I feel like it's right. so sporadic because you pick up gigs and then you work a schedule around those times. Right. I mean, yeah, I have I have consistency in that like I go to my photography job three days a week and I teach at certain schools these other days. But those are almost like landmark points. And then whenever I have free time, that's when I schedule all of the other like dance rehearsals, dance classes, photography jobs in between. Right. So a time... When I, I guess when I leave my photography job at the studio, they're like, yay, it's the weekend. And I'm like, these two days off are when I scheduled all of these other things because that's the only <laughs> time I have to schedule those things. So it's actually my busiest couple days of the week. Yeah, it was interesting. I teach three days of the, out of the week and I had, not I had to, I found subs for two days because I got asked to take pictures of these shows. And while I was driving out to the dress rehearsals, it was just weird thinking like I only get, you know, a limited number of times where I can take off from teaching at the studio before I get in trouble. And the fact that I do that in order to do more work versus vacation (laughs) or making, you know, leaving it for a sick day. uh, Maybe I need to rethink this at some point. But yeah, it's weird, you know, because it's because it's literally the only way I can make it work sometimes. Like I have to take off from other work to do work. So it's it's a weird system. I've had that experience, too. But the funny thing is, usually if I take off any of my jobs for a photography job, the photography job pays way more than what I would have made at the job that I'm taking off from. I don't know about whatever your gig was, but it's always kind of funny to like skip work and make more money that day. Yeah, generally photography jobs pay more but the problem is they're not consistent so mm-hmm. as like a long-term thing I'm making more money from teaching just because it's every week and I know it's gonna happen versus these jobs there aren't always dance shows every weekend where they have a bigger budget so it's a really hit and miss mm-hmm. when it comes to dance shows specifically plus I saw the um the shows that you took pictures of on Instagram and they look like really cool shows to have taken photos of like those those artists and stuff i wouldn't have missed out on that either yeah well also small world one of your friends was in the show and so when i went 
uh, before the dress rehearsal started, we were chatting and she brought you up. So it was just like a cool moment where like she had seen me on your Instagram and we just started talking about you. Yeah. Also, that choreographer for the first piece, I think it was the first piece. Uh, Heidi um, Henderson. To... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we are saying names. <laughs> I mean, they did a good um, job. We're not yeah. going to like say anything bad about them. I yeah, feel like it's no, fine. They're to name absolutely drop. <laughs> amazing. Um, so Heidi uh, went to Colby long before I went to Colby. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, I know her just through different dance worlds, networks and stuff. And then um, Sarah Gibbons was in her piece. And Sarah Gibbons and I went to college at the same. Well, we overlapped for two years. So, like, I was in her thesis project and stuff like that. That's such a small world. Um, yeah. And I liked her story, her Instagram story, where she shared the photo that you took. And she was like, I met Jonathan. And that was moments after you texted me. You were like, I met Sarah. She mentioned you. And she was like, I finally met Jonathan. I feel like I felt like I knew him for a long time because I've seen his Instagram posts. See, Instagram is it makes you think that you know people that you don't actually know at all. Yeah. Well, and so that specific show, it was a shared evening. It was Heidi Henderson and then Kendra Portier. And uh, it was so interesting. A, I think the entire cast from both pieces all the dancers i think had been debates before at one point or the other but a lot of them just not when i was there um but the two pieces were so different as far as lighting and movement heidi's piece was the dance photographer's dream show to take pictures of because it was super well lit there was a wooden like a a light wooden floor so there's a lot of bounce off the floor too but there were three lighting changes and they were all like color shifts so it never got dark and Heidi's movement what there's a lot of slow sustained stuff or when there was bigger movement there was a very clear uh plie or a prep or something so it was really easy to anticipate the movement so for that entire show, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then you switched to Kendra's piece, which was right after Heidi's. And it was dark. It was really fast. The dancers moved all the way up to like the very front of the stage a lot of the time. So I had a hard time figuring out where to focus or where to look. You know, and and she had these really cool, cool um, like LED strips or something hanging from the ceiling. But it was really hard to expose for them because if I ever needed to expose for the dancers, the strips got blown out because they just weren't as powerful. Mm -hmm. Getting the color of those right is really hard. Yeah, that too. So it was just a really contrasting experience. Um, But Mm -hmm. it was a really fun show to take pictures of. Yeah, it looked really cool. My, My sister was in a show at the studio I had never been to in New York that's kind of like a studio that has little risers around it you know typical but I walked in and it had white walls white floor white ceiling and it was super brightly lit I wasn't taking photos of it I was just there to see my sister um and I walked in it was just like I would love to take photos in this space <laughs> of this show it'd be so easy oh my goodness why can't all shows be lit like this yeah it's a glowing white box of light I guess it doesn't come up since you're usually taking pictures during the show but even when you were in school and there was a photographer taking pictures have you ever done photo calls for a show in high school yes um in high school i was in this ballet company this pre-professional company called southwest virginia ballet um and yeah the dress rehearsal would be when the photos were taken and then 
after the run, we would come back out and we would like restage certain sections of the pieces, especially mm-hmm. for like the Nutcracker and stuff, the key moments that they wanted photographed when like everybody was in an arabesque at the same time. We right. would like count in and do that. We didn't do that. Uh, we did that a little bit in college if the piece was really dimly lit because then we could turn on a little bit more uh like we could turn the house lights on i think we did that sometimes to help a lot of the dances we did in college were improvised so it was kind of impossible to do Mm -hmm. a photo call and i haven't seen it done or i haven't personally done it in new york since being here well because that can't happen during a show day like it has well or has to happen before the show yeah, you could come before the show and do it. I also took pictures of a different show at a university this week, and they had built in a five-minute photo call after each run, after each piece. So they would run the piece, photo call, next piece. It was interesting because it wasn't a real dress rehearsal in the sense where you got a sense of like the flow of the whole show because they did take that five-minute break. But it was really helpful and useful to have that because then I could work with each choreographer, each student choreographer to figure out, oh, here are like the five moments I wanted to make sure I got pictures of. And we made sure that happened. But it's also really nice. Yeah. But it's also I realized something I never ask the choreographers for asking if there's time to do a photo call. Do you think you might start asking for that? I don't know, because the one downside is it takes a lot of precious time out of your tech usually I can get good stuff just from their run and I wouldn't want to take time out of their tech to take pictures mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. I know ahead of time it's like super dark or something that they specifically asked for but I've never thought about asking about a photo call I mean this kind of comes down to like maybe maybe it's important for us to have even more information from the choreographers before we show up like yeah. is this show brightly lit dimly lit is there music is it are how many dancers like all of that stuff so if they send you some information you panic about (laughs) if you're going to be able to get any photos at all you know if they're like oh it's extremely dimly lit with only fluorescent lights hanging from the ceiling then you can offer that and be like in this kind of situation it's sometimes tricky to get the exact photos that you might have in mind so if you wanted to schedule in a 10 minute photo call we could do that but if they were like, oh, we have three dancers and it's really bright and not a ton of big movement happens, you can you don't even need to bring it up. Right. I don't know. I never ask people for that kind of information. I'm just like, oh, a show. Okay. Switching gears a little bit, because this might take a bit of time, we wanted to talk about how we started doing both dance and photography. It's kind of like, this is our origin story series. <laughs> you want to start with photography first or dance first? Let's start with dance okay so Catherine, how did you start dancing just about to say jonathan how did you start dancing (laughs) beat you to it okay oh no okay so i started dancing when i was i think four i think the story is that i asked my mom if i could be in dance class um which is kind of cute and was that like a regular dance studio type thing called casali school of dance amazing i absolutely loved it there from the time i was really young until fifth grade because we moved at that point so I couldn't stay there but just did like jazz tap ballet that kind of stuff um can I interrupt real quick yes when you asked your mom if you could take dance is that because you saw a show or you had like an older sibling or cousin like what made you do you remember um 
I would guess that it was probably because I had just seen a lot of dance. I grew up in a family that we would go to the Nutcracker every year. We would have like the Cats musical movie playing like in yeah I was kind of around musical theater and dance all the time um so it makes sense <laughs> that I would want to do it myself in elementary school I wasn't I don't know I really loved it but I wasn't like I'm gonna be a professional dancer or maybe I did think that I don't really remember um then we moved from Michigan to Virginia and at that point I had to kind of pick like a new studio to go to and the one that was the most similar to the place I was in Michigan had was like really into competition dance which like I didn't do and wasn't really that interested in and then the other option was like a full intense ballet school um so I ended up picking that one even though I didn't really like ballet that much but I just (laughs) liked like the intensity of it and yeah like just everyone was working really really hard and I really liked that um and it yeah it wasn't about like the outfits or the costumes it was just like physical training which I was drawn to um but I started uh like three years behind my level so I was in sixth grade in a third grade class so I had to make up for not taking that much ballet but ended up like working my way through that program was in their company worked really hard but Most of the people who graduated from that program either went straight to a ballet company or went to a college that was like specifically set up for ballet, like a point park or something like that, or just quit altogether. Um, And I didn't really want to continue doing ballet. So I was like, I'm going to not, I'm going to just do something else. And in high school, I was also at like a, a math and science private high school in the morning so my plan was to go to college for like physics and engineering and maybe astronomy and that kind of stuff so the plan was to just stop dancing and then I got to Colby which I picked for science and also like the dance department seemed interesting um okay wait no that's not exactly what happened don't you love when you're like telling a story and you're like wait no (laughs) (laughs) well it's also interesting how you remember things versus how things actually happen like our memory is so fluid sometimes it yeah and it totally changes depending on yeah what else has happened i visited colby (laughs) this is the best story i visited colby i watched a rehearsal and what i remember happening is there were like six or seven dancers who were in like a collaborative devised rehearsal process One of them was like reading a poem and drawing on an overhead projector, like the intonations of the poem, which was getting projected on the wall. And a different dancer, actually Sarah Gibbons was in this piece. This is where I met them. (laughs) Was So they were drawing on the projector, which was on the wall. And then another dancer was like tracing that line with her ponytail. Then they were like rubbing balloons on their head and like sticking them to the wall and had all of this yellow (laughs) fabric that they were like spiraling in and out of. And like picking each other up. You know, I was in a ballet company. I had like very, like, I didn't, I had never even seen this kind of dance. Didn't know that it existed. And was like, okay, I think I would continue dancing if it could be like a part of this, you know. Because they were like working collaboratively. And I think I was just tired of, in a ballet company, you just like do what you're told to do all the time. There's only Uh like so much training you can do like that. So I ended up doing a lot of dance in college. Um... There was one class uh, for the physics major, Modern Physics 1, that happened at the same time as 
improvisation and improvisation only happened once every four years I think so I decided to take improvisation which put me off a full year for the physics major which meant that the physics major had to be a physics minor (laughs) and I was not even really that sad about it so that told me a lot uh yeah so I ended up being a it's at Colby it's a theater and dance major combined so that was my major and then so you also did theater Uh, loosely (laughs) (laughs) I took a voice class and most of the work that we did at Colby had a lot of like speaking in it and stuff it was very hybrid so sort of theatrical but I wasn't ever in like a play but I we also had to take like scene shop classes and lighting design and all of these other things so it makes sense that the major was theater and dance do like stage management all of that stuff. So yeah, it sort of just happened. Like every, I feel like every step along the way, I kept just continuing to do dance because I couldn't really imagine not doing it. And now I'm still in that position where it like feels weird not to be dancing because I've been dancing my entire life. Like Mm -hmm. when I started speaking and walking, I also started dancing. And so it just feels like if I stopped, there would be like, something really empty in my life. Um, It's definitely like a part of my identity. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Can I ask? Yes. Well, I was going to ask if there are any people that you would say were really influential in your dance training career, like specific people that you could name, people that influenced you. Yeah. Are there any people that come to mind? Yeah. Um, well, I guess first off, Annika Sally was my elementary school dance teacher, and she was just oh, wow, so going that far back. On that's great. Well, no, but like I would have probably quit dance if she didn't make it so fun. Uh huh. You know, which I think is like important to mention because teaching kids is really hard. I've like done it now. I agree. Um, <laughs> and the fact, like, you do it still. Um, <laughs> and the fact that she was just so good at it, like, so much admiration for her. But recently, um. My main college mentor was Annie Kloppenberg. And I think a lot of like the way I think about choreography and making my own work is influenced by her, which makes sense. She was my thesis advisor (laughs) and all of that. Um, Meredith Lyons was my other main college mentor. Meredith. Yeah. Um, She left Colby before my senior year, but also my freshman year. Um, Annie was on sabbatical, so Meredith was like my main mentor, and I almost transferred out of Colby, and she said, "Don't do that." And so, uh, a lot of credit goes to her too. And then I've worked a lot with the architects, Jonathan. You know who they are, but in case you don't and you're listening, they're um, a group of improvisers who do compositional improvisation, which means they make dances that uh, they don't have like a score usually or anything, but they improvise dances in performance that look choreographed and they do that without a score yeah that's crazy sometimes their score is like two solos in a group thing but it's it's not any more detailed than that wow um so yeah they've been a big influence on me as well and they're definitely some of my main mentors and peter schmitz who i met at lion's jaw not this past year but the year before um is also an improviser who's was some of all of the architects teachers at some point I think anyway um he and I sent emails back and forth every couple months um 
And yeah, he's like my long distance dance mentor at the moment. And then I take class in the city like all the time. And a lot of those teachers who I take class with um, are like friends and mentors. Uh, Marion Spencer and Hollis Bartlett, Natty Chogden. Oh, Marion was know, just here at Maryland them. performing in the show. Yeah, she was in she's Kendra's, in Kendra's work. Yeah. I think it's your turn. <laughs> okay. How and why did you start dancing? <laughs> so I'm what people would consider a late bloomer, I think. I didn't start dancing until I think my sophomore year in high school. But before that, I had done martial arts since I was 10. It's a form called Kung Nu. It's originally from Vietnam, and it's a blend of all these different styles. Um, Hang on, I just pulled up the website because I don't want to get this wrong. So it's a combination or has its roots in Shotokan, Karate, Aikido, Judo, Wing Chun, Vovinam, Tai Chi, and Boxing. So it's this really cool blend of all these different influences. But the the dojo that I went to specifically focused on Shotokan or a karate. So I had been doing that since I was 10. So I had a pretty strong movement background because uh, our specific school focused a lot on form and execution of form versus uh, we didn't do as much like practical application of the forms. But we did things like music katas for performances where we would uh, perform at local events and stuff. So even when I was younger, I was doing choreography because we would have, uh, what was it called? We had like a Rocky set where someone had choreographed a kata to the Rocky theme song. And that was like a big one that we would do at Chinese New Year events and stuff like that. Uh, So growing up, I was already learning how to move to music and really like nitpick about you know, where your hand is going, how you're contracting from your core to really initiate the punch. Like all those things were already kind of built into my body from a younger age, even though I didn't recognize it at the time. And then I, oh, so I was homeschooled from sixth grade all the way to 12th grade. And during that time, I was really into music. So I was in a choir and then I was also into musical theater. So I joined a homeschool organization that offered a theater program for kids who were had, who had a more flexible schedule. So basically, you, you didn't have to be homeschooled to be in the program, but only homeschooled kids could be in it because we <laughs> practiced during the day. So This freelancing schedule from a pretty young <laughs> age, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I initially joined just the theater group, but we did musical theater shows. So there were dancing components in it, and they offered dance classes to supplement that. So I would go see my friends in their dance recital at the end of the year. And I remember I remember one year specifically, it was to the Black Eyed Peas, Let's Get It Started. And all my friends were on stage, like just, they looked like they were having the best time on stage, like killing it. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I could totally do that. That looks like so much fun. And so I asked my mom and the next year I joined the jazz class. And this was a more recreational program where the focus really is more getting kids active and make, getting them involved versus like we're going to train you at to become professional dancers. So I was able to jump from no dance experience all the way to jazz four <laughs> because wow. that's the because that's the age group all of my friends were in. And they're, you know, they were more concerned with me feeling like I fit in and I could keep up because I had done martial arts before. So it's not like I was I couldn't keep up. But that was my first introduction to 
a dance class. Before then, I would say like a year before, I had been messing around with friends from my dojo. We started watching a lot of breaking videos on YouTube. So I was really influenced by uh, a, a dancer called B-Boy Jr. He's from France. And he, if you look him up, he's insane. He's really well known because I think he has polio in one leg. So he has less mobility in his lower body. But he's made up for it by having insane upper body strength. And so he does planches, which are like the push-ups with your feet off the ground. But he does it on his fingertips. Whoa. Yeah. it's That's amazing. I, I would look him up. He's insane. Um, but that was like my introduction to hip hop. And I was just messing around with friends. I never got super, super serious with it. But we would have like, you know, Chinese New Year parties every year at our dojo. And we I would perform like a little thing with my friends every year. So that was like my f- kind of introduction to that side. And as things progressed, we had a new teacher, Veronica Farkas, come into the homeschool program. And she was the first person that kind of put in a more regimented curriculum and more serious, making sure we knew the terminology. She was al- She's also very into fitness. So she made us do a lot of workouts. And I think from her, that's where I, I get a lot of my physicality from. Or my, um, I tend to like movement that is really physical or it requires a lot of strength and that kind of aesthetic. And so, and then I ended up dancing with her company a few years after high school. So that was kind of my introduction in high school. And then when I went to college, I went to community college for two years first because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. So I just took some gen eds. But then while I was there, I was like, well, I really don't feel like doing math or science or English, but I enjoy dance classes. So I'll try taking some classes while I'm here. So I took my first, not my first, but I took modern for the first time in like a really set curriculum while I was there. And in that class, I met Cres Valencia and Kristen Santiago, who are amazing. And they're married now, which is so cool. Um, But they introduced me to Culture Shock DC because they were company members there, and that's a nonprofit hip-hop company in the area. So I auditioned for that company, and I didn't make it. (laughs) So I just took classes with the company for a year, and I was on their scholarship program. And then I auditioned again the next year, and I made it on as an alternate. And then I auditioned again, and I finally made it on as a company member. So... That's how I got all my hip-hop training. I was doing a lot of urban dance with Culture Shock while I was taking classes at Montgomery College with modern and jazz and ballet. And then after that, I transferred to University of Maryland, and I went in actually not as a dance major. I was thinking I would be a professional dancer, but more in the entertainment industry because I think a lot of influence from culture shock but I was thinking you know I was going to be a backup dancer etc etc I don't need a dance degree it's more about connections just getting yourself out there so I went to Maryland as a kinesiology major as my like backup degree slash it was kind of connected to dance but after a semester of that I was never in the studio I was miserable so I added a dance double major and then while I was at Maryland uh, I started focusing a lot more on blending all of my different movement practices together versus when I was at Montgomery College it was very much when I'm in modern class I do modern when I'm in ballet class I do ballet when I'm with culture shock I work on all my 
house and locking and vogue and all those different styles and choreography and those worlds never really intersected versus at maryland it was there's a lot of focus on who are you as an individual artist and how Mm. do you find your own voice and my personal voice was figuring out um how especially with house and modern how those two practices blended together more so that's kind of where that all bubbled together and melded a little bit more while i was at maryland i met matt reeves and colette krogel who are the artistic directors of orange grove dance who were there for their mfa and so i started working with them a lot and uh even after graduation now i work with them a lot still in the area and we've toured a little bit and i love working with them and that's kind of the main company i dance with at the moment but while I was at Maryland, I also danced with Pearson Woodrick Dance Theater, which is founded by Patrick Woodrick and Sarah Pearson. I credit specifically Patrick with really getting me into the like floor work and really getting comfortable with moving in and out of the floor. The company would always do this warm-up exercise where we would follow each company member. And whatever they did, you would draw inspiration from that and just kind of follow along. And so many of the dancers there were so good with going in and out of the floor that that like i remember specifically um wow i'm blinking on the name all of a sudden but my very first summer going on tour with them to oh my gosh what's the venue in new york but like that first tour like changed my movement background shoot this is gonna bother me so much oh remember where it was in new york hang uh hang on yeah look it up oh this is gonna bother me so much I'll figure it out later. Yeah. But that that's that summer changed my movement so much. Like afterwards, I felt like a whole different dancer. How did you get into teaching dance? Because that's a big part of your practice now, right? Oh, yeah. So while I was in high school, Veronica, the teacher I mentioned before, she brought me to assist her in some classes that she taught at a studio called Imagination Stage in Bethesda. And then I think my senior year, she offered me my own summer, like week-long class. And I taught that on my own after I had been assisting her the year before and saw how she did things. From there, I've just kind of always been teaching. I think one thing that Imagination Stage really did to help prep me is they required all the teachers to fill out a very detailed lesson plan for every single class. And wow. you didn't get paid until you turned it in. Or like part of your pay got withheld if you didn't turn it in. So I made sure I did it. And that helped me figure out a good structure for my classes that I've kept. I think I still do now, which is very unusual, I think, for a lot of hip hop t- teachers. But I think that's one thing that is unique in my classes where I have more of a modern dance class structure to when I teach. But I do it with hip-hop and urban dance movement but since my senior year in high school I've been teaching I would meet someone they'd ask me if I taught and then I would go or I'd get recommended and you know that just kind of flowed from there I'm missing so many names and people who have influenced me and so many details but that's the very rough version well we can always add we can always add more stuff as we remember it I mean I'm missing a ton of stuff as well (laughs) and I will say something that did influence me a lot for culture shock specifically when I was on the company there's a big focus on training in specific styles so we would have people come in to train us for a day in locking or just a full day in voguing and one day in house and that really influences my movement now where I 
have a, fa- a fairly strong foundation in all these different styles. So when I teach, that comes out a lot. And when I do choreography or when I freestyle, that I think is fairly evident. And it's something that I really value and I'm really grateful for. Okay, so I'm just looking at how long this has gone already. Yeah. Do we want to get into photography stuff? Mine is a little bit shorter. so I think I... we can try to keep it short. Okay, go. Uh, go. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it short. So back... <laughs> trying to think of when to start so I like grew up always having a small camera like since I was really young when I would travel my parents got me and my sister really small little digital cameras are actually the first ones were film and then they were digital but I've always just kind of like had a camera and enjoyed taking photos of things but not like professionally I actually felt like professional photography was like a kind of unobtainable thing for most of my life like it was something that I never even pictured myself doing because we would um, get like family portraits and stuff done professionally with this amazing photographer, Angela Carson. And like, you know, her camera's like giant, you know, with a 200 millimeter lens or whatever. And my little camera fits in my pocket. And I never really understood <laughs> that there's like a way to get from where I am to that spot. I don't know. Never considered it. Considered being like a professional dancer or, you know, NASA engineer, but never a photographer. And then in high school I had I think it was high school I got like a small telescope for Christmas was really fascinated by like how do I take pictures of the things that I see through this telescope did a bunch of research on that uh it's pretty hard to do (laughs) but ended up getting um a the the smallest Canon Rebel body because it was light enough to fit on the back that's what I started with too Whoa, so Even cool. that same model, but yeah, Canon Rebel. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I don't remember which model it was. It's in my room somewhere. <laughs> um, but I didn't use it as like a regular camera. I just used it to attach to the telescope and take oh, pictures so of Saturn. <laughs> and because I think using it as a regular camera, I didn't know how it worked. The photos were not as good as my other point and shoot because I didn't know how to set it. Like I didn't know how to use it. So it was easier to pull out like the tiny camera that's just auto mode and get really good photos Mm -hmm. um and then eventually I took it to college with me and started I guess playing around with it a little bit more and um I got a 50 millimeter prime lens for it and I just remember like I think the one of the first photos I took with it that was really good was of um the cat I had growing up Olivia And I like it was like a portrait, you know, I was like shooting down at Olivia from the top and like her eyes were in focus and everything else was blurry. And I was like, whoa, like if you figure out how to use this camera, it can take spectacular photos. Mm -hmm. And something at that moment kind of clicked for me, I guess, similar to like wanting to work really hard in this ballet company. Like if I put in the time and can really figure this out, the end product gets like better and better and better. And I like love that kind of stuff. Those like self challenges. Um, So I got really into it and just sort of like, I mean, it was like a a side hobby. Even throughout college, I didn't think I was going to do it as a job or anything. Um, I really loved doing photography while traveling, I think in part because like when uh, my whole family was traveling together, my whole family is me and my twin sister and then my parents. (laughs) It's not like I have a really big family, but um, it really helped me like have something to do if I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing like I don't know if my sister wanted to like go in a bunch of stores and I don't really like shopping or 
My parents are trying to look at a map or decide where to go. Like taking photos of things was a way for me to still be there, but also be like engaging in something else, like have this side project. Um, loved doing that. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I just kind of like had this camera, kept getting upgrading like lenses and things for it, getting more into it while traveling and just as a side hobby. And then I was interning at an arts nonprofit here in New York uh, right after I moved here. So it would have been two years ago. And one day I noticed they posted this sign on the wall that just said looking for a photographer for um, shows and events and you would get studio space in exchange. And I was like, oh, that's cool. They're going to find someone amazing. Eh, okay. I didn't really think twice about it. Um, and then after like a month, the sign was taken down and I asked my boss, I emailed her and said, did you end up finding someone? Because if not, I would like to take a stab at it. I was like, I've never done this before. I have a camera, but don't know if the photos will turn out at all. But if you don't have anyone else, it's like maybe worth the risk. And she said she didn't have anyone. So I came to the next show that they had during the show, not the dress rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> And took some photos and it was really hard, especially because the Canon Rebel has a pretty loud shutter that can't be quieter. Um, and that show was like very dark, but I got like maybe 10 photos, was able to edit them to look reasonable. And my boss liked them. I mean, the deal was like, just delete them if you don't like them. And I still, mm -hmm. you know, got the space in return. Um, and... I just kind of kept going back and shooting this show. It was a, a show that happened once a month, a series. And every time my photos just got like better and better. And again, I saw that progress and I did all of this research on like what other performance photographers do, like their settings, watched millions of YouTube videos, um, practice in my room with the lights off, like just all kinds of random stuff. And then I decided to upgrade my camera because I was starting to see my photos turning up on like other people's so we would give other give the artists the photos from the show they were starting to use them for different things I would see them on like dance NYC or like you know their Instagram pages and stuff and I was like if I'm gonna keep doing this um whoa I just got an email that I got a photo sale it's always exciting oh nice okay. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> Um, but decided to upgrade my camera because I just thought if I'm going to really be into this, it's better to have from the beginning, the quality be really good rather than your photos be out there in, in the digital world. And then trying to like later you get a new camera, the quality is much better and trying to like change the image that you already have as a photographer, if that makes sense. It's like mm -hmm. from the beginning, I want people to just see that my work is really good. And I realized that I already had the advantage of like, as a dancer, I was able to time movement really well. I just like really loved it and was like, you know what? I'm going to like invest in this and just go for it. The Canon Rebel is an amazing camera. Like some of my favorite photos that I've taken from like while traveling in Italy and stuff were taken on that camera. They're like printed. I have them in my room. Like they're awesome. Um, but the so the camera I upgraded to is the 5D Mark IV. And with the Canon Rebel, it's like you go up to ISO 400 and it looks grainy. And on the 5D Mark IV, I can go up to like 6400 and it still looks fine, you know. And the mm -hmm. shutter is quieter, full frame versus crop sensor, 
you know, it's um, just it makes it makes the photo quality much, much better. For sure. I um, agree. Yeah. And then your original question of like, when did you realize you could do this professionally? Um, the first. So I submitted like a profile on the site Upwork, which is like a freelancer sort of site. And I was contacted to shoot a show um, a, where I didn't know anybody in the show. Like I had no con- personal connections to it. I had never been to the venue before. And they just found my profile and invited me to shoot the show and paid me for it. And that was the first time I was like, maybe I can make this work without just taking photos for people I already know, like connections I already have. Um, so that was kind of a big moment. Um but also just starting to slowly get paid for the work that I was doing. Um, people offering to pay me, someone saying, hey, there's an event, how much would you charge? And me being like, oh, X amount. And I'm being like, that's fine. You know, um, that happening again and again sort of built my confidence up that this thing that I always was just doing that I thought I was doing at the same level as everybody else actually is something that people need and something people are willing to pay for and something I can do as a job so it was kind of a slow transition into that uh, I guess people that I've like looked up to similar to the dance conversation um, I already mentioned Angela Carson but she was like the first professional photographer that I met and got pictures taken from um, and then all of my high school dance shows were photographed by Dan McDelta who's actually the person who hired me to do the baton twirling gig that I talked about in the last episode so yeah, that was that was actually one of the really fun moments where I was now working for as a photographer for this guy who took photos of me as a dancer in high school, like full circle. And then in college, uh, Melissa Blackall, who I think is based in Boston, but she would come up to take photos of our shows at Colby. Her work is spectacular. And I always loved seeing the photos she took of our shows. And again, was like, that's gorgeous never crossed my mind to like do that as a job all right three two one your turn okay i'm gonna try and keep this really brief because we're it's running okay over. it's okay if this goes a little longer <laughs> okay well so i started again kind of late i didn't pick up a camera until i was in college uh when i was on culture shock there was i don't know a like two-year period i think where everyone in the hip-hop community was making their own dance videos and putting them on YouTube and sharing them. And that got really popular. So I was, I decided, oh, I want to do that. So I'm going to go buy a camera and so I can make my own dance videos. So I got a Canon Rebel T3i with the kit lens and quickly realized, oh, I can't be in my own videos and film it. So that didn't work. And I didn't think that (laughs) all the way through, but I had this camera that was made more for still photography so I started messing around with it more just taking pictures of my dogs at home and whatever was around me and I eventually started bringing it to rehearsals when I was with um sorry when I was in projects at Montgomery College and I would take friends outside and just say hey let's do a quick photo shoot so I can test this out you know things like that and I would then start to bring it to dress rehearsals and that slowly just started getting me a lot of practice like a lot of hours in and at the same time I was looking up a lot of YouTube tutorials and doing a lot of research and that kept going until I got to Maryland and my aha moment I think was when my friend Ashley David 
asked me to do her graduation pictures and she paid me without me asking for payment but when i when she gave me the money i was like oh i I could charge money for this i could make some money from this i could at least make enough to buy better equipment uh Mm -hmm. and that kind of started things off where i didn't even always charge people but i became more conscious of what my time was worth and trying to i started trying to figure out how much to charge people and it just kind of snowballed from there i just I kind of always stayed within the dance photography world because I would always go to rehearsals or I would go to shows and do dress rehearsals. And dance department at Maryland started asking me to help out with taking pictures at, you know, residency rehearsals or whatever, things like that. And that's like the really short version of it. But it was just a lot of practice and just using my contacts as a dancer to get my foot in the door to rehearsals and dress rehearsals. And eventually enough people saw my work where I got, I joined dance plays and now, you know, I was at Bates and even when I was at Bates, I would just, I brought my camera one summer and I just went around and did a photo shoot with my dorm mates, you know, and then that was, then I posted them on social media. And so just, it's just, I don't know. It just feels like I started taking pictures and I kept taking pictures and eventually I got good enough where people noticed me. That's like the really, really short version of it. Well, I think too, I'm I'm thinking back to, yeah. Uh, I had a moment in college where I let one of my friends borrow my my camera. This Yeah, this was just like the rebel with the kit lens to shoot an event. Because she was like, oh, you have like a nice camera. And I was like, yeah. And none of the photos turned out, you know, like they, <laughs> none of them were in focus. Like even shooting on auto, like the little flash was popping up, but it didn't need to. And I think I kind of realized that's like a perfect example of it's the person who's using the camera, not the camera that's doing the work. Like just because you have a good camera doesn't mean that you'll be able to shoot it well. Mm -hmm. Um, So then once you realize that like, yes, I'm in part getting these jobs because I have this gear and people need the photos, but it's not that anybody could just do it. There's like some skill set, some like artistry that I have here. And that's what I'm getting hired for. For sure. That's, That's when... I don't know. I think once you realize that, it's like, okay, I I do have something that not everybody else has um, because of the work that you've put in, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a point. I oh, I just forgot. Um, oh, sorry. Yes. So, sorry, while you're talking, I, I Googled it real quick. So, my first tour that I had mentioned with Pearson Woodrig was at PS21 in Chatham, New York. And that was, we did both like a site piece and something on stage and because I was an apprentice I had more time so I brought my camera and I was just taking pictures of our rehearsal and our dress and stuff like that because I wasn't in all of the works and then when I showed Sarah and Patrick they really liked them and I think that was what really started me taking more pictures of shows mm-hmm. versus me just being on the side messing around with my camera um, because then Sarah and Patrick would ask me hey can you bring your camera to rehearsal hey, can you bring your camera and take pictures of the dress or things like that? And at the time, I was not thinking about getting paid. It was just like, a, oh, yeah, cool. This is fun. Like, let me do this more. And then I would share them on Facebook or, you know, whatever it was. Uh, so I think that actually I guess that summer was really influential in both dance and photography for me, because since then, I've kind of always, whenever I've been with Pearson Woodrig on tour, I've always kind of been the photographer, video person. Um, Like when they went to Cuba, they didn't have the budget to bring me on as a dancer, but they really wanted to make sure they documented the experience. 
So they hired me as the photographer videographer. And then of course, when I got there, I ended up dancing too. But, you know, so I think all of the, all of these skills have helped me dance more and then vice versa. All my dancing has allowed me to build my photography skills, you know, give me opportunities to work with all these people. So it's a really cool crossing of these two forms to the point where I, I, I don't know if I would, no, I would still say I'm, I'm more a dancer than a photographer, but it's getting to the point where they're pretty equal. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been like sort of panicked this past couple of weeks because since starting the new job, I have had way less time to dance. And it's like I'm itching to get back in class, but don't have any time to do it. Yeah. And also like I have rehearsal once a week for the show I have coming up and feel like I'm just haven't had enough time to even think about what we're going to be doing or prepare for it. It's like, am I still a dancer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's so easy, like, as soon as one thing shifts to be like, eh, like, I haven't had a photo job in the past two weeks. Definitely not a photographer anymore. <laughs> you know, these, like, crisis thoughts. It's like, that's not true. Things go in, like, phases. Yeah, it's such a hard balance because, at least for me, if I were to try and go 100% for all the different things I do... I would burn out super quickly. So it's definitely an ebb and flow. Sometimes I'm dancing more. Sometimes I, I'm taking pictures more. And now I've also introduced video into my work. Things are always changing. And I think I think that is the one thing about freelancers is we've, we, we've learned really early on to just roll with the punches and adapt. And mm -hmm. I think that's actually something that dance has helped me specifically where like you improvisation and contact improv and freestyle is such a big part of my practice that it translates a lot into a lot of other things I do where if things happen instead of freaking out okay there's the initial freak out moment but then really quickly I go to okay well what can I do with the situation and how can I adapt and what you know what can I use from this which is a really useful skill to have. Yeah, I've I've definitely gained some of those skills from doing compositional improvisation, like just listening to what's happening and being okay with being present without knowing what the outcome's going to be. I think for like a dance career, that's what it's all about, right? It's like you move to a place to pursue dance and there's no, like you have to just be open and available to what opportunities come, which is so different than other careers where it's like, I'm going to go to medical school and then I'm going to be a doctor or I mean it's more complicated than that but there's like no set path for these for either dance or photography performance photography you know and I think I accepted that that's how a dance career is going to be and there have been so many times where I haven't I felt like nothing is going to come and then you know you check your email and it's like oh cool I'm going to be in this thing or I'm invited to perform in the you know stuff mm -hmm. just comes up out of nowhere from the people that you know and so I think that kind of like reassurance and this is just all part of the process has helped me be more relaxed with the photography business as well. Like, oh, if I just keep putting myself out there, stuff will come. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's not that easy for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, because we are over, I want to get to Discovery of the Week now just yep. to wrap things up because we've been talking for a while. Up. I also feel bad because I feel like this is our as of right now like the least interesting episode because we're just talking about ourselves okay maybe for so us i hope people, people enjoy might... this yeah okay what's your discovery of the week <laughs> so i've had this experience a lot and this kind of relates to it wasn't episode three i think where we talk a lot about like undervaluing undervaluing your work getting paid for it and all of that stuff um but 
uh, I really want to not say any names, but also not make it too vague. So we used to take <laughs> photos of this thing and had to kind of stop because the compensation wasn't fair. But I was very worried that um, that gig was what was connecting me to a lot of other gigs, a lot of other dancers and sort of like the center of the wheel of like my entire photography business. So part of me thought, just keep doing it anyway, even though you're not getting paid for it enough, getting paid enough for it, um, because more gigs will come. But then I decided that, you know, if I'm willing to do photography for what I think isn't fair, then it does undervalue the job and hurts the whole field and undervalues it for everybody. So decided not to do it. And then got an email that they now have uh, the funds to pay me what I should be paid to do it. So oh, that's great. if that makes any sense, like, and I've had this experience with events too, where you say like, oh, sorry, um, I can't do it for that rate. And then they'll come back and be like, just kidding. We found more money. Can you please come? Are you still available? So there's something about like, if like people have organizations and people like have the money usually not always but usually have the money somewhere to pay you a fair amount or a slightly less than fair amount but still like enough <laughs> to do the job but people aren't going to like volunteer that money over they're going to try to pay less for it right so like right. if you put your foot down and you're like no this thing cost this much the funds can usually be like shuffled around like from one thing to another, if it's something that they really need and they really want you to do it, then they'll, they'll find a way. It's yeah, been my or, experience. Or not even that the funds get shuffled around, but say they have a budget of like 500, but they'll ask like, oh, can you do it for 300 just to see if they can get a yeah. lower rate first. So, And if you're like, no, then they have to decide, is it worth more? Okay, maybe it is. Um, so yeah, just a good reminder of uh, not selling yourself short. And yeah, I think it helps everybody in the field to uh, make professional photography like be worth enough. Yeah. So. Well, good job. That's that's Thanks. a hard thing to do. Yeah, I was pretty excited about it. Okay, Jonathan, discovery of the week. Mine is kind of random and out of the blue. But this past week, for one of the studios I teach at, we had to submit all of our costumes for recital in the wow. spring already which this is my first year at the studio so i was like that's crazy i'm not used to this workflow but that also meant i had to go and kind of figure out what i'm doing for each piece already otherwise i like i don't know what colors or aesthetic i want so for one of my classes i decided to do a soul train theme but i realized i actually don't know a lot about soul train so i found this really awesome documentary about soul train on youtube that i highly recommend it's so good and it really takes you through the history of the show and it touches upon, you know, how uh, funk and disco and hip hop, all those influences affected the show and how the show was a really a reflection of all those different things in history that were happening. Anyways, so if you look up Soul Train, the hippest trip in America on YouTube, it's like the first video that comes up. It's an hour long. I highly recommend it. I also think in general, one thing I'm trying to do and be better about is learning the history of all the different things I'm invested in because that's really something I'm not good about both for dance and photography. So I, I'm trying to find more of these resources because I found trying to read a book, just things don't stick with me. So finding documentaries and videos 
are an easier way for me to retain information. I love documentaries. I will watch it. <laughs> so we have an email address. It's still in motion podcast at gmail.com. Please email us if you'd like more or less of certain things or ideas. Yeah. Um, and also check out our Instagram, still in motion at still in motion podcast. And our personal accounts. Mine is at Catherine.butler, K A T H R Y N. And Jonathan's is JSU Media, J H S U Media. And we want to give a special thanks to Shannon McConnell for composing the music for our podcast and Amanda for dealing with all of our back and forth emails, trying to design this graphic that turned out amazing. And yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.